Let's catch that on the mic, shall we? It wouldn't be a 200th episode without some city sounds. Oh man. Oh, how I've missed it. Well. specifically summer in Bed-Stuy, where we have to record while it's still a little bit light outside, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. means it's not going to be quiet. No, that's okay. It's only a matter of time until the parties start, no. and then you don't get to it's sleep until mon- four in the morning. It's a Monday. It's a Monday. Well, there's a holiday weekend coming up. Pretty soon it will be a Monday again, but this time no one will have to work. So, Who is this no one you speak of? You have to work on Monday? Uh, probably. Yeah. I get a little bonus if I work, so I was like, mm. Hmm. I only have to show for six hours. I love that you don't even check. I love that your uh, shoe slave mentality just leads you to believe. I I mean, I'll I've been, probably have to work anyway, and at I've least been, I'll get a bonus. I've for been it. negotiating like when when to work, and I'm like, oh, fuck. All right, fine. I guess I'll do it. Whatever. Um, as long as I get some sweet, sweet cashola. Ooh, I like that goat wine. Yeah. I'm out here drinking goat wine. Yeah, the goat's good. It is good. Goat's a little overpriced for what it is. It absolutely is overpriced. What, a $26 bottle? No, no, 23? no, 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 19, 19. Oh, I've been upcharged. Yeah. I'm sure you have, yeah. Goddamn. Yeah, well, normally this is out of my price range anyway, but I think we discussed hearts on the last after show or on the main episode. Oh, I can't remember now. did you go there? Well, I go there because it's on my way here, oh. and they used to have a cheap bottle of wine that I liked, but now they're out of it. And it seems like their selection is different, and they've decided that nothing is less than $19. So Why don't you go to Manny's? This is what I could get away with. I don't want to ride past here to go to Manny's and then double back. It takes two seconds to go to Manny's. I know. It could. But, you know, there's only so much time in the day. What can I say? Okay. Well. You know? <sighs> I got to get here early to make sure that you shower after your run. I'm fully capable of taking care of my own <laughs> hygiene. Thank you so much. Because otherwise I know you wouldn't be doing it. What? I know you would just change into a fresh white tea and pretend like you showered, but I'd be able to sniff you out. I don't sit in my own filth, <laughs> first of all. No. <laughs> I'm not trying to break out all over my body with clogged pores and nonsense. No, no, no. no. And without a washing machine, you can't just soil a new garment immediately after a run like that. Especially a white tea. Especially a fresh white tea like that. This is the t-shirt I wore all day. Oh. So it might be a little funky. Well, it looks good. I was I was V sweaty today, mm-hmm. you know. Why? It was such a nice day. It was like a very moderate temperature today. It was perfect. Yeah, that air conditioning was not pumping in the way that I needed to, you know, because in the morning it was a little brisk. So I was like, ooh, I'll wear a cashmere. And yeah. then one o'clock rolls around. I'm like flop sweating everywhere. Just like, Ugh! Yep. That's why you got to check the weather, my friend. It's always brisk in the morning, especially this time of year. Then middle of the day. Well. The heat is on. I'm not trying to bring layers it is a pain in the ass. Try to look, look good once and call it a day, you know? Let me tell you what. I've had a very discombobulating day. I'm a little out yeah, of sorts are, right now. Yeah, you got up at 4 in the morning? I did. I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning Ooh, to work a job fun. at 6 in the morning. And you were done at 9.30? Yes. Which You're was texting me at 9.30 like, hi, I'm ready to pot. I'm like, bitch, what? <laughs> I'm not. Well, this job You're going to have to learn how to nap. This job was advertised to me as 6 to question mark with the assumption being it would probably go till about 2. And then another shift would take over. But oh. then, of course, I show up there, and they're like, we have eight things for you to install. And I was like, um, You're like that's about an hour I'm going to go get a coffee, and then I'm going to start. How about that? Because the place across the street opens at 630. So why don't we just chill mm-hmm. and banter a little bit, and then I'm going to go get a coffee, and then I'm going to go start this job. And ham it out in three hours? Yeah. yeah. So me and one other guy, I mean, we did it so fast. It was like, it was unbelievable. It wasn't really worth my time. I mean, I took a day off of work for this. I oh. want a goddamn day rate. But, I, you know, maybe I'll just charge it and see what happens. Just charge more. Just be like, well. Yeah, I've always charged them a day rate in the past, so I'll just do it again. And if they make a fuss, nobody's checking these fucking invoices. Is That's the for, one thing you need to know. It's Is it for redacted? Yeah. If you're a yeah. freelancer out there, just charge them whatever. Nobody cares, actually. Yeah. Yeah. They're not in charge of the money. And the accountants that are in charge of the money don't know what you did or didn't do. Yeah. So just... Do whatever you want. Plus, this place's budget is... It, I mean, it's really just designed as a drinking playground for adults, so... Yeah, it, that's true. I met a nice new art handler today, and we were discussing that. But we should get off this topic mm-hmm. on, on the on the main episode, oh, because fair. I don't want to, you know... Dox. I don't want to incur any additional liability. It'd be pretty easy to find out uh, yeah. this place was already. Eh. 
Anyways, well, but yeah, I've been up. I've been up since four o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and then I got off work really early, which threw my whole day off because. Uh, you can take a nap. You know, I don't know. People. Well, here's the thing. I got home and I thought, okay, I got to move my car around one thirty. Nice to be home in the middle of the day, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. Car moving, not such a big deal when you're home in the middle of the Correct. day. There's yeah. a million spots. Uh-huh. And uh, it's easy to time it out perfectly. Duh. But um, I thought, okay, I got to move my car around then. So I'll take a nap and then I'll wake up and move the car. The problem is I'm not a nap person. And I've only been awake for six hours at this point. So norm a normal day, mm-hmm. this would be like, it would be like one o'clock p.m. Yeah. You know, I can't take a fucking nap at 1 p.m. I've never done that before. You can take a nap at 1 p.m. if you wake up at 4 in the morning. Well, so even though it's 10.30, and that's my new 1 p.m. Oh, today, I still right. can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, whatever. But I'll try to relax, and we'll just see what happens. Can't fall asleep. Keep trying to fall asleep. I'm like, I'm wasting my time. So I just drank a shit ton of coffee. Oh, <sighs> And then, you know, did my, did my minor errands and, you know, watched YouTube videos. And I eventually did fall asleep. But it was at 3.45 p.m. Oh, that's the best nap. Oh, that's the best nap time. So now I feel great, yeah. actually, except that I feel like I've lived two days in the span Correct. of one. I'm like, it's still today. This yeah, is incredible. Uh-huh. I'm podcasting. This is like the fifth thing I've done today. Uh-huh. It's very weird. Yeah, it's not fun. As we've discussed in the past, I'm a big fan of doing like two things per day. Yes. Like you go to work and you do one other thing. Mm-hmm. Then maybe you go home. Yeah. That's debatably three. Mm. But doing like five. And then being that's like, wow, it's still light outside. And now I'm talking to Will. This feels like it's Yeah, go run week. a 10K. Let's go. I know, but I'm a little worried I'm not going to sleep tonight. Oh, you will. Thing. You're going to crash real hard. I think I probably will, actually. Yeah. I think yep, the, yep. the maximum caffeine intake, I mean, I drank the whole pot to myself. I drank a very strong uh, iced coffee at a blue bottle, which Ew. was $10. Gross. And they served it to me in a paper cup like I'm some kind of fucking animal. Ew. And you don't even have a, a lid with a straw. You have to use a sippy cup lid. I fucking hate that. Oh, I don't mind them. But, you but know. a paper cup. Give me a break. The thing's dissolving by the time I get out paper the door. Paper cup? Yeah. An iced coffee in a paper cup. Did they it's, run out of plastic? No, or I think this is just their thing. It's probably an environmentally conscious thing, but it does make you feel like European? you're at a Burger King. You know, it's Ugh. very awful. So that was too expensive, but it was strong. It was strong. It got me through like five hours of, mm. you know, living. And then I came home and I drank an entire pot of coffee. And then I took a nap. That's so a bit much. I don't know what's going to happen now. Granted, uh, no, I mean, having that much caffeine does incur a crash cost i think so too that's why that's why it happened after Mm -hmm. and now you're really living after having a nap because the caffeine is now fully doing its job you're like i'm awake i know i feel like about right in the gap between this show and the after show i feel like i'm gonna get a little tie tie the sun's gonna go down completely and then you'll be like oops i've just ridden my bike a little bit you know a couple miles so i'm like okay Mm -hmm. here we go yep it's the physical reality going, hey, hey, we've done a lot of things today. Yeah. We're done. Well, and then I have to work tomorrow. You know, I think this would be one thing if it was like a weekend and I had another day to recover. Mm. But I'm, I feel like I'm going to be out of whack for a while now. Because mm. also your eating gets off. Or I should speak for myself. My eating schedule gets really off. Yeah. I'm not hungry at 4.30 in the morning. So I didn't eat breakfast. Oh. And I had the strong mm. coffee and then I worked. And then I came home and I was like, I'm only kind of hungry because it's just a weird time. Now. Yeah. Now it's not neither it's brunch time, but it's a weekday. So I'm like, I'll delay and I'll just eat lunch, I... which I did. But I think I ate too heavy of a lunch. Well, and then of... I had dinner kind of early because I got hungry again fast. Oh, it's, I'm up. just yeah, like on because yeah. I had that nap, you know, and you wake up from the nap. And you're like, it's time to eat now. I don't know about that. That's how I felt anyway. I felt like I slept off all of that food. And it's time to eat again. Yeah, you did it wrong. And now I feel like I'm going to want dinner right around the time. Second dinner? Yeah. Yeah, that I also am slowing down for the night. It's not a good good feeling. Yeah, when I have to wake up and do like a 5 a.m. once a year, by 10.30 I'm like, everyone move. I'm starving. I'm going to kill someone. And then... By 2 o'clock, I'm like, I'm going home because Papa can't function anymore. Mm. And then you drive, and you're like, whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah. And then you land on couch, and then all of a sudden it's 6 p.m., and you're like, oops, I'm awake now. Oh, you know what? You know what I think threw my eating schedule off, now that I'm thinking back on it, is I had a late dinner last night, too, Mm. which means that I was basically sleeping with a full stomach. That's probably why I wasn't hungry, even yeah. more than the timing. Duh. I ate dinner at like 9 p.m., oh, and then no. I went to bed at like 9.30, 10. So like... Yeah, no. Uh-uh. You know, Can't do I it. was still riding riding on my meal from last night. You were still full. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you don't have that sleep metabolism. No, I definitely, yeah. I definitely do not. Yeah, that's the greatest gift of all. Yes, of course it is. Where you just go, hmm, I'm going to go take a little nap and burn about 200 calories. Mm, yeah. It's great. Instead, I'm gifted with a grimace midsection. Well. And long stick legs. It's not good. <laughs> the, the, the look I, Will is giving is. I'm picturing, you know, because grimace has a shape, right? It's yeah. like, it's like a, a classic pear, but purple. Yeah. But putting sticks on him is really... It's a horrifying reality. That's a rough. Well, now you know my experience every time I get out of the shower. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, that's a slip hazard is what that is. It's very top heavy. <laughs> one, one wrong step and you're just... Oh, man. Let me tell you what. I'm getting adjusted to a new shower right now that's in a very narrow bathroom. Oh. So you have to exit through the short end of the shower rather than the long side of the shower. That makes no sense. Which is weird. The room is just shaped funny. Yeah. So I have to do that. And then the toilet is immediately in front of you also. So there's a tripping obstacle. And with a little water on the floor, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough. I'm getting used to it. The towel is a little too far away on the hook to like grab straight from the, sh- the tub. So you have to step out with a fully wet leg and like take one very risky step to get your Why towel. Why don't you fold the towel on the toilet and then grab it from there? I do do that now yeah but i don't like putting the towel on the toilet even though the toilet is the cleanest it will probably ever be right now um did you put a new toilet seat on no i didn't that's That's always a good idea you know i i think i mentioned i have a list of short medium and long-term projects Mm. that's a that's a real quick short one that's a medium-term project Mm. the thing is i should have done it when i did all the work to put the bidet in by the way hot water bidet (sighs) rules need the pain um, it, it was, it was never painful to me. It's just, I thought, Hey, this feature is basically free. Oh, right. I'm going to yeah. get it. Mm. And, uh, it only takes like a little extra hooking up yeah. to do. It's just another hose. Yeah. But you got to run it under your sink. So I yeah. had to like borrow a bit from work and like drill a hole in the side of the cabinet. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, cable management, but I like yeah. doing that. It wasn't so hard, but the, the extra reward, I'm telling you, Mm-mm. it's nice. It's did, really nice. I did not enjoy. In a way, it feels like you're being violated, though. Like, the cold water feeling is at least foreign, but the warm water feeling... It's a little... Pe- it's a little sexual. It's a little penetration. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially if it's, like, too warm, you're like, Ooh, The first time I did spicy. it... Spicy. The thing is, I don't know how this bidet does it. I think it has an internal temperature control of some kind, because our water out of the sink is scalding hot, you know? Oh. You have to mix it with the cold water to get a decent hand-washing temperature. Yeah. Yet, the bidet... It it is like perfect like human body temperature, Ew. which is what makes it so invasive. Ew, yeah, ninety eight point six can't be like it's a lot back like a tongue a little... or a hand or you know the pointiest dick in the world. It's, yeah, it's a feeling. Mm. Let me tell you. No, the the Toto that was in the uh, the ramen place in that French small town. Uh huh. Had the had the warm water. Yeah, and of course I was like, well, it's avails. And then I was like, oh, oh, no, oh, I don't like that. It was it was a squirmy sensation. Well, I got to imagine, much like getting a bidet for the first time and just, you know, getting used to using it at all, mm. I think the warm water is just a thing that you get accustomed to, and then there's no going back. Yeah, but then you're done pooping anywhere else forever. Well, that's already kind of the case. That's true. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't go. It's tough when you're, you know, when you're out on a job or when you're at work and there's no bidet. And I'm not an animal like you that's going to carry around a water bottle and call yeah. it a bidet. Yeah, and squeeze it up your hoo And then put it in a bag. Yeah. Ugh. Repulsive. It works. I'm sure it does, but that's not the point. The what? point is you're carrying around fecal matter on your person at all what? times. That's fine. The backsplash of it. I mean, I'm not shitting through a wicker basket. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> God damn. It's not like, ugh. I know it's not that bad. And I know that the the quote unquote portable bidet, aka Nalgene, <laughs> has its own bag that then goes in the bag. Yeah. But even still, you gotta replace that that bag every every use, I feel. That's like a dog poop bag. Like you don't just carry that around. Yeah, it's a You'd be on a, you'd be on an episode of Hoarders if I you mean, were carrying around used dog poop. I would poop love bags. to know. I mean I, I need one of those UV lights. And see, like, what shows up if I stuck it in there. I think you would be terrified. 
about what shows up. And I think if we just put one of those UV bags or lights in one of your bags in general, uh, you'd be horrified too. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not bag... calling you specifically out. Oh, all that. bags are disgusting. Yeah, they're disgusting. Uh, yeah, nobody yeah. washes them enough. Let's be honest here. Especially New York bags. You set that shit on the subway floor. I guarantee it. Oh, that doesn't see this. This bag doesn't see ground at uh, all. I forgot. You're you don't go on the subway anyway. I don't take that on the subway. Yeah. I don't take a backpack on the subway. I take a tote bag. Mm-hmm. Fags with bags. Yeah. Yeah, I've been told many times that tote bags are uh, for pussies. So I've tried to cut down on my usage of them. I don't have pockets, so well, I have pockets. Well, but, I feel know. the same way, but but women folk they frown upon the use of the tote bag from a man. Men should just put things in their pockets. Apparently, but have bulgy pockets and not sit down That's right. How I feel. I want keys up my ass. No, you know, I don't. I've you know what I've taken to doing. I did this the other night, and I didn't reveal it till to, till it was too late. Till later, I I like to uh, clandestinely sneak things into the purse. Okay. So if you're out and about with your lady fellas, this is a this is a pro tip. All of our female listeners, stop. Uh, turn it off. You skip ahead. Men have been sneaking shit in women's purses forever, though. You got an umbrella. You got a wallet you don't want to be burdened with. You got your keys, and there's too many things on them. You got lesbian keys on you. You know what you do? You wait until girlfriend goes to the bathroom and says, will you watch my purse? And you say, yes, darling. I would love to watch your purse. And because shove I love all your you shit. so much. And then you put all of your stuff in there. Ideally, if there's an interior pocket that they don't need to access that often, put it in there. And they won't discover it. They won't notice the extra weight. If this was me. Wow. So you want. I would notice the extra weight. You want weight. women to carry more weight than they already do mm, socially? Yeah, I'm sorry. Wow. Part of, that's part of being a girl boss. I feel like I'm going to get some opinions. You're going to get a lot that of, I really don't want to hear. I'm going to have to mute several <laughs> things. Um, comments closed. Yeah. Um, no, you just throw all the things. I mean, you know, the problem when you know your fags with bags is that you just end up with not your sunglasses and your tote bag, and you go, "Hey, do you have that? Oh yeah. Well, I have this. Okay. Well, we're going to have to trade at some point. Oh man, let me tell you this. So the the same night. The other, this was Saturday night. I snuck a bunch of stuff into the bag. It's you know, it's all water under the bridge. I revealed it later, and it becomes a funny joke. But if I ever do it again, it's going to be a serious problem. Well, so you're going to keep doing it. I, I am, but I'm going to have to get more clever about it, a little more tactical. Okay. I'm going to have to be a, a tier one operator when it comes to sneaking things. Yeah, until all of a sudden it's a Dior saddlebag and it's tiny and has not can't fit shit in it. Oh well, yeah. Um, that same night, took an Uber home. We were down by the Navy Yard. Re was in mm. an art fair. So, you know, it's not close to home. There's no real good way short of the bus, but I'm not taking the bus at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Ooh. And uh, in this Uber, we got a wealth of material. Um, a pair of prescription glasses that I actually really like the frames of. Um, okay. That was left behind by a... That was left behind. The driver didn't notice it. So huh. we, we took them. And then the next morning, you know, had a change of heart and we're like, we should contact the driver and give these back because somebody's going to be they're they're very strong prescription glasses too like i put what them blind on. bitch can't see then getting out of the car <laughs> i don't know i don't know you never know who wears contacts and then you know it's just carrying their glasses i have no idea <sighs> um but they're very strong and it made me feel bad for the blind person but the thing is it's hard to get in touch with an uber driver yeah no no, no. they don't want to talk to you it, it's just not going to happen no. so we tried and it didn't happen so we have the glasses which if I can get the frames, if I can get the lenses replaced on these frames, I think I'm going to take them. What kind of frames are they? They're, um, you know, they're pretty standard, like like brand. I don't know. I forget. Oh. I read it at the, that night, but I was drunk and I don't remember. Mm. Um, but they're like pretty standard, you know, Warby Parker, Hayware style knockoff plastic frames. Oh, but okay. they're uh, they're red with a green gradient uh, on the bottom of the eye, which I think would be great for Sunnies. I'm not trying to like wear these around. I'm not one say, of these like I'm not one of these like uh Pagliacci clowns or like Charles Dickens characters that's uh 62 going on 30 that shows up at every art opening. Okay. Wow. You know, with blue hair or whatever. I'm I'm not talking about peacocking like a dildo everywhere I go. Uh Is that the title of that? <laughs> peacocking like a dildo. Well, you're in charge of these episodes now, oh, so it's, it's totally up to you. Oof. But uh, I'm talking about maybe as as sunglasses. I think they'd be pretty cool. I think that's fine. But until yeah. someone, that's a very distinct eyewear choice. Yeah. Until you find, you know, the city's small when you do something like that. And then someone eh. sees you and is like, where the fuck did you get those? And you're like, well. 
here's the thing. You always have plausible deniability, and the city's not as small as you think. Mm. The city's small when you're recognizing serendipity. It's like you run into somebody you know or whatever. But if there's somebody you don't know, you don't clock things about them that you otherwise might if you were familiar with them as a person. Hmm. And the other the other counterexample I can think of is like I've had my bike stolen in New York. You're never seeing it again. Like there's just certain things. No, that when are... you left the purple bike, I saw it around the neighborhood. I remember you. Yes, I remember you saying that. But that was just the donation to the ether. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got my bike stolen. Oh yeah. No. When items disappear and you don't want them to, you're never seeing them again. That's true. And even and my point is too. Even if you were to. It's a mass-produced. Pro- I mean, who's to Who say? Cares, yeah. And you're not going to get into he said, she said with some stranger about, about an item. You get those, yeah. And if you do, you're going to end up in a chokehold, and then somebody's going to be on trial for manslaughter, okay. and you're probably dead. Okay, so I'll don't be do editing that. Editing all of that. Out. <laughs> um, I'm saying don't do that. I'm saying that's bad. We don't want to. We don't want those kind of situations to happen. Okay. Nobody likes those kind of systems. What's the minute failures. marker on that one right there? I'm not telling you, bitch. Oh, yeah. I should really turn this around. Yeah. I should be watching the monitor. I mean, why? I still, I still like to produce the episode. Okay, um, I'll share my Saturday Night Cab story because I. Oh, can I tell you one more thing? I found in the cab. Yeah, a bottle of Don Julio tequila, half, half drunk. Mm, that sounds right. And uh, I took it, and it, you know, I got a lot of suspicious looks. Like, are you sure you want to take that? You never know what's in there. You never know who was drinking out of that. And my opinion is, well, you know, alcohol sterilizes things, and I'm willing to take my chances. So. I've had to Don Julio before. You know when? Every Christmas, um, my uh, stepmother's family, Mickey, mm-hmm. they, uh, for some reason, I must have been drunk and talking about how I liked tequila and how I didn't like theirs. And they, A guest in the home saying, I hate your tequila. Well, because nobody else drinks tequila, so they buy some you know, pig slop okay. from the equivalent of a bodega in suburban Ohio, and mm-hmm. I don't want that. So I was talking about how it was shit. I'm sure this is what happened. I don't remember, okay. but I'm sure this is what happened. And then <sighs> the next year and the subsequent years, I show up and they're like, we bought you nice tequila. And I'm like, okay. And it's Don Julio. Damn. And at first I thought, I don't know anything about Don Julio. It's delicious. It seems cheap. No. Like it seems like. The branding is a little. The branding is very suspicious looking. looking. It's like faux fancy looking. No. The bottle's a weird shape. The bottle's a stupid The shape. label's like that old school medieval typography. It where looks you're a little like, mm. Cuervo-y. Yes. And you're like, huh? But it's actually really it's delicious, good. delicious, yeah. So I thought it was worth the risk. If I if I end up getting herpes or something from the vodka, or sorry, from the tequila. Is it 52 or sil- what? Is it silver? It's, sil- it's the blue bottle, which I believe is silver. Hmm. Yeah. Which is the one I've had, and it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's very good. It's very expensive at a bar. Yes, it is. Um, so you're, you're a Saturday Night Cab store. You got one, too? Well, after saying the address of the cab while in Manhattan, was told, oh, you have to get out. No, this hasn't happened in like 10 years. I know. That's a very classic and I was like, experience. I was like, what? We're like, yeah, I'm not taking you there. You have to get out. We were like, okay, that's illegal, but fuck you. Let me be very clear. You're actually talking about a yellow cab. Yes. Because you like to hail the yellow cab. Well, well it was a Saturday night at like unknown hour. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say probably like 12.30, 1 o'clock, you know. Um, and like in at, on like 6th Avenue, like by the the cellar. Yeah, near West 4th. Yeah. All of that. yeah. So like it's easy to get a car. Pretty, you know, pretty easy to get a car. Um, oh, that's why. Those cab drivers but are they're just like, relying on tourists that are going back to Times Square. They're doing a loop up 6th yeah. Avenue, down 7th, and doing it all night long. Yep. Drunk co-eds taking them back up to Hell's Kitchen or the Upper West Side or whatever. People taking very short cab rides to NYU and then they go back to you know West Fourth and, and scoop them up, yep. or they're going to drive to Jersey City because they can charge them toll. You know, it's that shit. They're like Brooklyn, huh? No, absolutely not. Yeah, no way, not at that hour. So first one, please leave. And I say, I'm indignant, but I get out because I then can scream at this cab driver because fun. Um, and then get the next one. And then he's like, wait, what? I don't know how to get there. I'll go, but you got to tell me how to get there. I'm like, I'm looking at the GPS. I'm like, we're screaming in the back. Put it in your fucking machine, dude. (laughs) Um, But I'm like, fine, I can do this blindfolded. What are we on? Okay, keep going that way. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to take this bridge. I was like, no, don't take the... We're on the Manhattan Bridge. I'm like, and he was going so slow. 
Well, uh, regular sure, cars. You know, were, I know he's running up the meter. Whatever, but the thing is, <sighs> I mean, but him going slow is one thing, but taking the Manhattan Bridge is not a bad thing. Mm. I take the Manhattan Bridge home from work. I mean, it's it's often faster than going to the Williamsburg Bridge. I know that you like to take a left right near I the know. mouth of the Williamsburg Bridge yes, yeah, many, yeah. many times before yes. finally crossing and it getting on it, yes, and sitting in traffic, but yeah. you don't have to do that. If you just go to the well, Manhattan Bridge... if you go fine. to the Manhattan Bridge and then you scooch up on the BQE, you can be up here real fast. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, no, no. He went... He kept going. And I was like, well, oh, you can fuck. also just go up whatever that street is and Myrtle. hang a left on, uh, on, on... Oh, you don't have to go up that way. Either. Well, he did because he's like, I don't know where to go from here. I was like, okay, you're going to take a there's right plenty of wa- There's plenty of ways is all I'm saying. Yeah, so there's n- not. But hey, you know what? Part of you enjoys this, and I know you do. I know you <sighs> enjoy getting gay bashed by the first cab driver. And then the second cab driver having the old school experience of I don't know how to get there, and I also don't know where I'm going, and I'm also trying to run up the meter. Yeah. All like... of those things are like, man, is, what year is it? I know. It, well, that's the thing. The is next, it 2012 right The now? next morning we're like... It's been a long time since I've had that happen. New York is back, baby. Well, is it? I was like, what are we doing? Like, do you not, like, you do you want to be run out by, like, Uber drivers? Like, what do we do? Like, are, are there that many tourists back that are, they're like, we're not fucking going to Brooklyn. Like, what? Well, did you read recently they finally eliminated the green cabs? The green oh, cabs they're were dead? Not quite. They're much oh. like Quiznos. They went from having a thousand locations to having like four. Two, okay. Yeah. So they're still green cabs, but they're very, very rare, and yeah. they're like officially phasing them out. So if you see them around, they're just like a legacy oh. uh, medallion. Huh. But they're going to be gone, which you know, poor timing on the green cab part. They introduced that right around the same time that the tech companies decided to own everything. So right, yeah. you know, there's really nothing they could do about it. But I genuinely think that. The just the trade off of buying a taxi medallion for one point five million dollars and being like a debt slave from Bangladesh to some like unscrupulous Italian guy from Jersey right. is not a good deal. No, worse and, deal. And then the remainder of the people that are like more interested in doing that than Uber probably are just servicing like very tiny neighborhoods because tourists and idiots come here and go, I want to take the New York yellow cab. Becky, don't you want to take a yellow cab so we can tell everyone in Des Moines Ugh, how cool it was? I guess. And I think that's all they're doing. I mean, it's they're, they're props more than they are like functional city infrastructure. Right. But they used to be functional city infrastructure. I know. But they're not that anymore. Because I took, I took a car from, I want to say, 14th Street here, like recently hailed it, and it was so much cheaper than Uber. It was half the price. Are you sure? Yeah. Because the thing is... It was not like 2 in the morning. Well, okay. But, I mean, yeah, you, you just never know. I don't know. The thing it was is, on 2nd Avenue. You could shoot right down, and then you're off off to the races. You as know? far as I'm concerned, it's entirely a black box. Because I have no idea how cab meters actually work. I have no idea if they charge you different prices on different hours. I don't think they're supposed to do that. No, they can't. I think people fuss with them, even though they're not supposed oh, yeah. to. Absolutely. I think it's a very uh, shady market anyways. Uh, I think they run up the meter all the time, pretend to not know where they're going. Yeah. They don't. They literally don't know where they're going, even with GPS. It seems weird, but I've mm. had this experience back and forth from the airport because that's usually when I'm in a yellow cab. Mm. I'll go wait at the stand rather than call an Uber and go to some undignified area, like a, a mile and a half away, mm. that you have to wait in. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's because you love JFK, which, as we've stated, is trash. That's so weird. Anyway. <sighs> um, all of that being said, it's a black box to me because with Ubers and Lyfts and stuff, I also don't know how their services work. Sometimes you get one and you're like, oh, it's $16 and it's like peak hour. How is this possible? How is this possible? It's pouring rain and it's 11 p.m. on a Saturday and it's $16. Uh-huh. And then other times it's the middle of the day and you're like, $55. I, I need to run an errand or whatever and I don't have time. And yeah, it's like 70 bucks, and you're like, okay. So I, I guess yeah. it all just evens out in the wash, which I think it does for the companies, too. I'm imagining how that's that's how they get over. Structure it. The I average guess. price is what matters, right. not the, you know, not the individual experience, which has always been true of cabs anyway, I think. So, like, you know, that's true. Yeah. But I like when the, when the, it's like the fun treat of they work right away. But to have like back to back bad ones, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I, be I don't think they're making any effort to compete. 
I guess. I yeah. think the city is probably subsidizing them in some way or the other so that they can continue to exist because New York would be weird if we just gave it up and said, we're San Francisco now. Everybody call your... Fo- Everybody just your... call your private entity. Yeah. And only rich people get to do this. Which they might as well do. At this mm. point, why not just do that? That's, that is what it is. Yeah. That's always what it was. Poor people never take cabs. They no. can't do it. So who cares? You take a cab when you're like feeling... I mean, at this point, I only take a cab when I'm absolutely sloshed. Yeah, exactly. That's when. That's the only time anybody does it, or when they need to carry something and they don't have a car. Uh, Uber yeah, has yeah. become effectively like a replacement for uh, not only car services but like U-Haul van rentals. That kind of you yeah. call an Uber XL and you get your shit from IKEA, and, and the throw it and the, the driver has to help you pissed, even though yeah. you they don't make any extra money. Yeah. But they know what it is. They got stuck in Red Hook because some rich person needed a ride from Columbus Circle to Red Hook to their fancy pants mansion. Mm-hmm. And now they're here and they're like, fuck, I have to go to Ikea and I have to put some Calex shelves in the back of my brand new 2022 uh-huh. Escalade. And it's going to get scratched and it's going to fuck up and one of the And now it's going to smell like MDF. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I have to do that anyways because I have no other choice either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And who makes money on this? The the evil Swede from Succession. You know? Oh, That's yeah. how everything works. Apparently this last episode was real heartbreaking. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know. I haven't seen any of it. I saw the, I saw the uh, seventh episode mm. last night, and it was weird and disjointed, but there were some good parts. That's what I'll was say. Was that the election episode? It was the one before the election episode. Uh, I'm l- really far behind. Mm. It's where uh, Shiv and Tom get into a major argument. That's the like set piece scene of the whole thing. But mm. it, they're hosting a, a an election party at their house. The election's not happening. It's like oh. a lead up to it. Huh. Um, but yeah, it's a strange. It's a strange episode. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, I'm behind. Um, what else is on the docket with you? <sighs> I want to talk about the Supreme Court a Warhol thing. What? You you don't know about this? I don't know about her. What are you talking about? What you that? haven't heard a, a word about this? No. So there was a big Supreme Court uh, copyright uh, intellectual property okay. decision recently uh, with the Andy Warhol estate versus Lynn Goldsmith, like a, a celebrity photographer. Because okay. way back in the 80s, uh, for Vanity Fair, these are the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. I think in 1986, Vanity Fair asked um, Andy Warhol to do uh, an illustration for an article about Prince. Okay. And they specifically licensed a Lynn Goldsmith photograph. I've never heard of Lynn Goldsmith. Does that name ring a bell? No. But I looked her up, and she's very famous, like almost like Annie Leibovitz, Richard Avedon level, but more, uh, less like gallery angle. Even though that's only a component of those people's practices. But, like, she's a commercial photographer that's very well known. Okay. So Vanity Fair wants Andy Warhol to do this thing. They specifically licensed a Lynn Goldsmith photograph for him to work with, a portrait of Prince. Okay. The stipulation of the licensing was that this was for one-time use only. Yes, Andy Warhol could appropriate this for this magazine ad. Okay. uh, But it was only for that one time not going forward. Uh-huh. Flash forward to 2016. Uh, over the years, Andy Warhol had done an entire series of Prince, uh, Prince, Prince paintings I, I, and drawings. Yeah, I finally figured out yeah. on the second after the second time you said it that you're talking about the artist formerly known as correct. Um, you know, yeah, I keep misspeaking. There's a lot of Prince the same words. and Prince. Yeah, Prince. We're talking about the artist formerly known as. He's the yeah. subject of the work. The purple one. So, flash forward, Andy Warhol ended up doing 16 uh, paintings, drawings, and prints. Okay. Uh, 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 using the same image that were never published in anything, but were sold, you know, as original artworks. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, this suit came about because when Prince died in 2016, another magazine run by Condé Nast um, hmm. licensed a different Prince painting. So the first one oh, the that one was that, officially yeah. licensed and was above board was Purple Prince. Uh-huh. Uh, some Condé Nast magazine did a feature on Prince and they used orange prints oh. in print, which had just been a painting in a private collection. Right. Oops. Ling Goldsmith finds out about this, didn't know 
over the last 30 years that Andy Warhol had ever done these other works, yeah, well. even though they'd been out and about in the world. But she contacts the Andy Warhol Foundation and says, uh, this is in violation of my original agreement with you in Vanity Fair. This is a one-time use only. I want like a fee for this. <sighs> Andy Warhol Foundation sues her and says, no, this is a reproduction of an original Andy Warhol work. It's not like covered by your original agreement. She countersues and says, no, uh, I only agreed to have one image made from my photograph. The fact that he made more and that it showed up in a magazine is copyright infringement. And I want licensing fees on, you know, all Mm. subsequent sales. Now, this has been a huge dust up because the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Lynn Goldsmith and not in favor of Andy Warhol. I can't believe you haven't heard about this. Um, Recent? Very, very recent. They heard the case in October. The oh. oral argument was in October, but the ruling just came out like two weeks ago. I know that there was something like Kagan did like a full like art history lesson in her. Okay, so this is that. Okay. This is that. So Andrew Russith was tweeting about this. Okay. So I read a lot of people have been tweeting about it. I, and, and, you know, frankly, I've been busy, so I haven't had a lot of time to investigate it. But I did today because... It seems like a lot of artists are really freaking out because it is really restrictive of appropriative art. Because if, if you take if you take the argument, this is the really pared down version. The majority opinion in this case was basically that, like, yes, the Andy Warhol work is stylistically transformative and expressively transformative. But yeah. that is not transformative enough huh. to make it fair use. Because it was uh, published in a magazine with the same intention as the original photograph, i.e. an illustration. Oh, so Condé Nast fucked it up for everybody? Kind of. We'll get to the implications and who Mm. fucked who here, because I have opinions about this. But Mm. let's try to lay it out. So a lot of artists are... A lot of artists and art writers and just people are, like, freaking out because it it basically undermines, like, a long-time handshake deal. Arguably, that goes back millennia. Yeah. Between the creative community that, like, pretty... Just do something with Pretty direct appropriation is not that big of a deal. That's just part of making kinds of art, and we do do that. That's fine. And especially because Andy Warhol... Richard Prince, like, shit himself that day? Well, you know, there's been other suits in the past around Richard Prince and Jeff Koons. I think Andy Warhol is actually... He got sued for the soup cans, I learned. I read the whole majority opinion, and I read the dissent, too. Hmm. I didn't read uh, Neil Gorsuch's concurring opinion, but... Um, concurring? As a side oh, note... Okay. Well, because, you know... Bi- that's a bitch move. There's always a majority in a dissent, but if somebody has a different interpretation but agrees with one side or the other, they often write a concurring opinion oh. where they give their diff- differing like legal analysis but their similar conclusion uh-huh. to whichever side. Yeah. So that's common. Yeah, that right. happens all the time. Um, as a side note, the thing that was interesting to me in this case was that the decision was 7-2, which hmm. means that it was just um, Kagan and Roberts that hmm. dissented. Roberts only dissented because he is the guy that's responsible for making the court look legitimate. I don't think he, oh, as like a person, has any real disagreement with, with the majority decision, but he needs to make it look like they're not that Kagan's not getting ganged up on. Right. He did this before. Remember like the health care thing? Which time? Uh, one of the times it came up and down. Roberts dissented from the conservatives and voted with the liberals just to make it look like the Supreme Court was fair. Mm. That's his whole role on the court, mm. Chief Justice. So, interestingly, the, lib- the libs sided, you know, the whole court sided against one justice, essentially. Yeah. Which means the libs even thought, we're going to uphold the commercial end of this and not yeah. the creative end of this. Uh, so everyone, of course, is freaking out. Is it just a matter of like who had better lawyers? Like, what are we mm-hmm. doing? Like, because the Warhol Trust has been doing this for you know decades now. I don't think it's just a matter of better lawyers. Um, what I think is that you have a court that's obviously stacked with uh, corporate and just yeah. you know protectionist business protectionist people. So the decision's not really a surprise. Like. What I think it is a um, not-so-clandestine way of doing is just 
basically monetizing every image that's ever existed and saying if you have like any claim to the originality of this at all you can charge a fractional amount on every subsequent way that it's used (sighs) i think this is basically like an excuse for uh you know everyone's a a, a content creator now well i think it's an excuse for a corporate aligned court to get internet content creators in line this is my borderline conspiracy theory. Like, we can't have the internet out there where everybody is trafficking in images for free all the time and trafficking in their remixing, rebooting, and reappropriation. We need to get everybody on the model that, like, Hollywood and literature have always followed, which is that uh, just because you're transforming it a little bit or even majorly, you still owe the original creator of the title some money. Who cares? So if you made the first Pepe meme on 4chan, now every time it gets passed around, you can charge everybody a fraction of a Bitcoin for it. Like uh, this, this is yeah, good fucking luck. This is where this has been yeah. going for a long time. Like I feel like we've <sighs> actually talked about this before in <sighs> other in other ways, but I think they're just trying to find a new revenue stream for uh, business people that was previously untapped. Which is guess what, guys? Images are no longer free to use. Um, yeah, they are. But they're not anymore. Well, so art, art, artists are genuinely freaking out about it. But I wonder if anybody's actually read the decisions, um, because first of all, people on the Supreme Court are not very bright. Are you uh, aware of that? Yeah. Um, and it's not because they like write in dense language or because they're lawyers and they try to make things inscrutable. It's just that their lines of logic like don't don't make a I ton was gonna of say, sense. Is it, where did the wh- where did the logic break down that this was bad? I mean, I guess like citing something that was from 86 as the source of the the pain the you know the pain point for photographer is you know this is why i'm like who who at the magazine fucked up and didn't you know didn't realize you know well, were, were there no old heads around going no don't don't even try to use an andy image like you know what we did with that that was a specialty uh, th- this is this is what's interesting and what's complicated about it to me exactly because also why would Andy take that deal he ha- he hated those kind of like restrictive well, he deals. didn't take the deal oh. Vanity Fair took the deal so that they could get a Warhol illustration because they knew oh. this was going to be a legal problem they had a specific image in mind mm-hmm. that they wanted him to use this was not like Warhol's creative call right he didn't appropriate the goldsmith image and then Vanity Fair said we like your paintings he was given it yeah. they said we want to use this image will you do something with it yeah. so they to protect their own ass licensed it and goldsmith put in the language that that's fine but only once oh so i I can very clearly at that point though isn't andy just you know aping andy this is a thing that that we all you would have to do is like mirror it or something just to be like it's not our image anymore. well let's get to this because this isn't really addressed in the supreme court opinion a little bit in kagan's dissent but i mean these people are idiots like like her language is so uh She's like lunching on the grass, and I was like, "Girl, that she, she she should be ashamed of herself." And so, so the other side was a little bit clearer, but let me lay it out. So, like the major the majority opinion was basically they they state this clearly. They say, "Like, look, um, it was obvious the terms of the contract were a one time use thing. That's obviously been violated, and now it's not our position as uh, justices and as law professionals." To, to judge whether stuff, yeah. something is transformative enough or whether its meaning has changed enough. Right. And they cited a couple of other cases, one involving two live crew and like uh, Roy Orbison sampling. Oh, yeah. As like uh, they actually referenced the dissent in that case um, and say the dissent was actually right. I think what happened with that case is just context clues was that they sampled Roy Orbison and there was this whole dialogue about whether or not it was parody. Because with oh, parody, yeah, parody, you have a lot of leeway. You're allowed to directly appropriate because it relies on the direct appropriation to make its meaningful point. Correct. In other words, a weird Al song doesn't make sense if you change the beat. Right. It has to be a one-to-one to beat it. And yeah. now it's eat it. Right. Correct. Everybody yeah. understands this. So the complicated thing with the two live crew song and the Roy Orbison sample was just like, hey, they didn't change... They're not parodying the original song, but it clearly has a different meaning. So is it's not parody, but is it satire? Because satire doesn't have to directly appropriate anything, but it still relies on prior reference right. and transformation. So the, the Two Live Crew case was decided in favor of Two Live Crew mm-hmm. uh, without really clearly addressing 
whether or not it was parody, whether or not it was satire, nobody could really decide. Or homage. Can you also chalk it up to like homage or something? Well, in the fair use legal language, there's all of these carve outs for if it's for research, if it's for humanitarian things, if it's for journalism. There's all this specific language, but it never really uh, makes clear where that overlaps with commerce. So a lot of this most current decision relied on the idea that like, look, the issue is not, and they state this explicitly, the issue is not the original Warhol paintings that came after the vanity, the 1986 Vanity Fair usage. Mm-hmm. We're not even addressing that here because those existed in a different environment, and we don't a care, gallery yeah. context, an art critical context. If th- somebody wants to bring a separate suit, the implication was we'll hear it. Yeah, but that's not what we're addressing here. Mm. Those things are Andy appropriating Andy. That's the subtext yeah. there. They don't say that, but it's like, hey, he. Give him a saw cookie, his own image yeah. in a magazine, and now he's appropriating that. Like, yeah. that would be my that's a way out, eye yeah. on it. Yeah. That's my way out. So they they sidestep the issue of like art in a gallery. But what they say is because one of those paintings eventually showed up in a magazine again, and yeah. a published photo in a magazine is what's at issue here. It's the use of the photo in the magazine that's actually in question. Oh, you can't be, do that. This is gonna be a fucking hot ass mess. But it's gonna be a hot ass mess because every magazine does this. Oh, yeah. Some of them take the licensing more seriously. Every online publication does this. Every Substack, every what, what about like Times ev- article. What about like every every like you know, welcome to my home apartment thing, and then there's paintings in the background. Do you get to be like, that's mine? I think you can. I think you can. This is what it's opening the door for: is these kind of micro trans uh, transactions. Yeah, but like, if it's in the background and it's your home and you own it, like I think you forfeit. You're not licensing it because it's yours. Well, look, man, the point is I don't know. But the reason that everybody is freaking out is because now in our litigious environment, Mm. what do you think is going to happen? Everybody's going to look at this case as precedent and say, you need to hear about this and that. And Architectural Digest is now in trouble because there's a Frank Stella in the background. Mm. Like, who the fuck knows? It really does open the door to either have Congress clarify what fair use actually means in a commercial context and not just leave it open to interpretation. Yeah. Which is the Kagan position, basically that we have like a millennia of appropriative, like canon and handshake agreement tradition that should just be respected and the law shouldn't interfere with it. Mm. And then the majority opinion, which says that actually disadvantages less successful artists. The only reason Andy Warhol can get away with this and the Andy Warhol Foundation feels like they have the right to sue is because they have more power than Lynn Goldsmith, mm. which is yeah, also true. true. Yeah. So I, I don't have a, like a contrarian take, but I can definitely see that side of it. Hmm. The the way that I see smaller parties being disadvantaged here is like I work with appropriated photographs all the time. I'm working on a painting in yeah. my studio right now that is probably copyright protected. It's it's within 75 years. Oh. It was published in a newspaper. I don't know who the photographer is. I yeah. found this image on Google. I'm altering it only a little bit more mm. than an Andy Warhol. Where does that leave me? If I was ever to have it in a gallery show and I sold it and the wrong person saw it, I'm going to get sued for part of the money. And in a, it, it, my whole problem with this whole case is that guess whose fault I think this is? It's Lynn Goldsmith and Andy Warhol Foundation's little money-grubbing, petty yeah. bullshit because somebody... How much was the licensing fee? Because Condé Nast paid the Andy Warhol Foundation ten grand to let them use an image, and Lynn Goldsmith said, oh, oh, oh wait a minute, four grand if that's mine. Both of these people are rich as fuck. Yeah. The Andy Warhol Foundation and Lynn Goldsmith are millionaires many times over. Yeah. And they're, they're arguing about $4,000. About a licensing fee. And then they threw it. By the way, this suit was brought in 2016. You know, it's been through district courts. Yeah. This has gone on a while. But it's like Trump was president then. I think everybody could see that a Supreme Court corporatist uh, mafia, which way they were going to rule. And yeah. yet, Why push it? these libs... Because I guarantee you, Lynn Goldsmith and the people that run the Andy Warhol Foundation don't want people to vote for Donald Trump. But guess what they did anyway? They yeah. took it all the way to a court that fucked everybody over now. Yeah. If you want to look at it that what's, way. What's the total like compensation that we were looking at for at, these? At this point, it's probably millions of dollars because of the legal, legal costs fees. that have yeah. been going on for but seven years. what was years. the ask? You know? I, they don't say it. I would love to know the ask. It says unspecified amount in the decision that I Ooh, read. I don't I think really they make it know. publicly available. But I guarantee you, how much could it really be? Seriously? Two grand? Oh, Probably okay. for an online article 
I mean, yeah, it's nothing. The amount of money that they decided to go to war over is nothing. Also, why not just take on the magazine? Anyway, it... Well, that's the other thing. <sighs> wouldn't wouldn't you... Well, you know what? Because it's not really Condé Nast's fault. You know, they, they think about... They were the broker. They fucked it up. Yeah, but they don't think... They, they approached the right people. They approached the Andy Warhol Foundation and said, can we license your image? And the Andy Warhol Foundation said, yeah, sure. They didn't do anything wrong. I guess. The, there was just ambiguity about whose image that actually was in the first place because the originator of, you know, back in 86 didn't realize other things were being made. <sighs> who cares? You know, but who I, cares? That's water under the bridge. How old is Lynn Goldsmith? At this point, she's got to be 900 in her 60s years old. Or 70s? I mean, 60 would be young. She's got to be in her 70s. Yeah, so, girl. That's what I'm saying. Why, why are we butthurt still? You have a board of directors that's essentially a museum, all millionaires, probably some billionaires, arguing with a millionaire 70-year-old artist over like a few thousand dollars. And they, they kept this going. Nobody settled the case. Can you believe that? Well, When yeah. different district courts like ruled opposite ways, nobody said, let's just put this to bed. Why would we'll any... We'll give you five grand. Any... Why would any art institution not just settle? You know, you know what happens like when, remember when Jeffy wasn't selling the stuff or they were double, you know, things were not going. Those were all settled because Larry's, Larry ain't no fool. He's like, oh, no, 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 we don't need, no one needs to know what we do in the shadows. We are going to settle this somehow. Well, this is part of the thing. A good business person in a commercial context realizes it's almost always cheaper to just settle out of court. We don't make a public. Like the bad press is yeah. not worth it in this case. Just so you know, like the rich people look like petulant assholes and then galleries look like they're like yeah we did some bad shit let's do this quietly under the rug like we do everything Everything else else. because that's how power actually works the moment you make it a public spectacle wealth whispers not shouts something's gonna go awry so we don't do that so we put it to bed by just paying off this this you know this nobody like in the case of Jeff Koons, remember that photographer that was like upset because he had the like dog picture and Jeff Koons made a sculpture of it this photographer was a nobody, yeah. and Jeff Koons did totally take advantage of him. Like, who cares if this guy sues us? I, we can pay him off, and it won't cost us anything. It's part of the production costs of this edition, you know? Fair. They, they didn't yeah. give a shit. They just did it that way, and they don't have to involve, like, society. They don't have to involve, like, the implications of this and the history. But instead, you had a couple of, like, narcissists really go to decide town. Yeah. that they really wanted to go to town over $4,000. And now here we are, and it's like if you're if you're a small artist, and oh, maybe that's why the head of there's a new head of the Warhol Foundation. <laughs> there's a new chief. No, because this probably cost them like fifty million dollars at this point. Like seriously, yeah. of Andy's money, he'd be pissed. It's not like that. It's not like they're going to miss it. But yeah, that's a huge mistake because now that, especially because all of the spotlight that you've just given Andy Warhol in particular, yeah. Guess what? Every single photographer that he ever appropriated from is now coming for money. Sharks. Sharks. So, blood in the water. And they yeah. have the Supreme Court. I mean, unless Congress changes the law, all of those people will win in their first court case easily. Like, so whoever made that decision really fucked up. Yeah. Just pay him off. But I can see their logic at the beginning before it got really out of hand where they're like, well, if we set the precedent that we have to pay everybody off, then everybody's going to ask for money. But it's like you've made that situation like 100 million times worse. Yeah, it's worse. And you've made it apply to other people other than you. Other people that don't have the money. Yeah, I Do you know what I'm saying? Gonna sue. Um, no one's going to sue, you know. Well, at a, you know. Here's, the, here's the problem that I have with it. It's like at a small enough scale, of course not. You can get away with whatever. In the same sense that, like, we can talk about whatever we want on this podcast as long as our jobs don't find out it's not, there's no real risk, yeah. right? But there is an issue of scaling. It's not a problem for really, really small artists that are completely under the radar and are completely irrelevant. But mm. the moment you get to your mid sized gallery and the wrong person sees something, oops. Now you owe yeah. a licensing fee mm. on a series of paintings that you've made. You can probably just barely afford to be working at that level and not have a day job. And now yeah. you're having like one fifth of your money taken away by some fucker. Yeah. That, you know, used part of a photograph that you used. Yeah. That sucks. And then you also got to carve in the 10% for the... Well, and the, the, gal- the, the gallery is not going to absorb that fee. Yeah. You know? And the, yeah. And then now you have lawyers' fees if people want to sue you, <sighs> if you want to press the issue. I mean, like, so it becomes a problem of scaling your practice now. 
where that didn't used to be a problem, you know? Um, for the big artists, I'm not crying any tears for them. Richard Prince, Sherry Lee, all these people can afford it. They're all going to get hit with it, too. But it's the smaller people that are, like, trying to work in, in a vein that requires using other images and now probably can't really do that effectively at a large scale. On the other hand, if you're one of the people that got ripped off this whole time, I, I could see it as a win. I think there's probably a lot of, you know, smaller scale, especially commercial adjacent uh, yeah. photographers and illustrators and people that have their work appropriate all the time yeah. that say this this is good. Because one of the things that they say in the majority opinion that is fairly fairly convincing on its face is she cites uh, Martin Scorsese and she says, just because Martin Scorsese makes a movie called The Irishman, and it's a movie, right? It doesn't mean he can't uh he he doesn't have to license the original book like yes the movie's a giant transformation yeah he's gonna change a lot of plot points it's a completely different medium it's, a different thing, it's yeah. got a different it's a different thing with a different feel with a different author yet you still have to license that why isn't that true of still images and it's like yeah I that's kind of not a bad line of logic yeah, yeah i mean i guess well it, it also it leaves the door open for the little guy to get some help you know if someone just you know does get a little scoop up and then all of a sudden you're like that's my shit you know like a fair game mm-hmm. um like think about what urban outfitters used to do left and right you know and they would just be like mm, good luck trying to sue us so sorry right you know like i think about it from a design perspective that's a little bit yeah maybe more useful you know what I mean? and you know to a certain extent like how much of andy is design you know all right we're just remixing the colors and the shapes. Um, I think where, where people start to freak out is that the courts, except for Elena Kagan, don't make any effort to acknowledge that like Andy Warhol's practice has a meta component to it of self-appropriation, of, uh, in a certain sense, being satirical. You know? like, it, it, But... It's interesting that it kind of, you know that the rest of the court kind of calls bullshit on that tacitly. They don't acknowledge it, but they're like, "Listen, an art critic or an expert or an artist themselves can say all they want that they're critiquing something, but are they really? Well, You're just selling a picture." And Andy Warhol's kind of the epitome of like, "What are we really talking about here?" Well, is he really making an artistic statement? Every time he appropriates something, I think especially late Warhol, it's interesting. Late Warhol's a little... Because, again, the majority opinion actually cites the soup cans and an earlier lawsuit. I don't think it went to the federal level. Mm-hmm. But by the Campbell's company against Andy for the soup cans. And they said, like, that actually seems legitimate. The the, the uh, comment on consumerism is actually obvious because those don't function as an advertisement right. in the context that they're in. So the use of the logo doesn't seem to infringe on anything. They're, he's not advertising Campbell's, obviously. Right. Yeah. But with the Prince one, it's not obvious whether that's an advertisement for Andy Warhol, whether that's an ad for Prince, whether that's an ad for the magazine it's in, whether that's... What is that? It's for higher work, though. And I think that there's a lot of like people that write for October... That would use a lot of like continental philosophers to, you know, make a very oblique point about how that matters. Well, but it, does it? It's like a, in America, does it? I don't, who knows? It's a Nicholas Boria like remix theory situation, which is boring and kind of like flimsy. Yeah, I think it's flimsy. Um, you know, the remix, and you're like, oh fuck off, You've done too many drugs and gone to a rave or three. You know, like right. Um, like that's not a good enough, like leg to stand on in American court. I mean, I'm sure like in European courts, this would not hold up, but in, in America, we're like, hmm. well, well, the thing I, the thing I think would be different. I don't know about European legal proceedings, but the, the vibe that I get that would be different is just that I think Europeans, because they have like a more, uh, deeply rooted sense of culture, it would actually be like, this is just not a thing that we decide in terms of the law. It's just a thing we let artists like work out amongst each other, which is the way this should have remained, which is why I have a problem with the two parties involved yeah, having get the done se- this. Get the 70-year-old and then the chief curator, you know, in a mud pit yeah. and go to town. Yeah. If there's any parties to blame, it's them. Because they were petty over a very small amount of money. They were commercially minded at the end of the day when they should have just hashed it out. Well, 
if you really respected like cultural tradition and thought these things were like uh amorphous by the way i'm not really for like any form of intellectual property protection i get why it exists on behalf of like corporations and businesses Ooh. but from an artistic perspective it doesn't hold any water to me well artists are corporations and businesses now well that's so, that's you know. exactly it if the art world wasn't as like commercialized as it already was and you didn't have these flame wars between millionaires like all the time uh yeah maybe we wouldn't be here that's probably why it never came up before. People are fighting over scraps because they have nothing better to do. Well, they're fighting for scraps when they don't have to. These are people who have yeah. money. That's what I'm saying, man. <sighs> they're more interested in like the personal politics and the power play. Like even when people like, you know, in the 2010s where like galleries were shutting down and locking storerooms and people were busting shit out and kicking in doors in the middle of the night you know after 2008 you know like no one sued no you're just like give me my shit back right also i'm stealing some supplies fuck you this chair's mine you yeah. owe me yeah, yeah you owe me some money so i'm taking your chair well there's like a genuine fear somehow of like real interpersonal conflict like that so everything just goes litigious instead yeah and, but only people that res- that have resources can do that. And people with resources don't care what impact it has on regular people. I think yeah. every single Supreme Court decision of all time, especially from the last 30 years and especially from this court, is evidence of that. If, it's, if, if, there's a, if there's a cultural issue that gets to their level where they get to decide what happens, guess who's going to suffer? Regular people. And they're going to frame it like they're doing it for regular people, but they're obviously not. Yeah, well... You know, and and so we'll see. I, like, I think it's an interesting thing more than anything else. I can definitely see both sides of it, but I think the impact of it is going to be very curious in the next. Or couple it'll of just years. be messy. I mean, I don't know. It's just going to be messy. It, it's one. I mean, in I don't want to say this. In the American artistic tradition of you know, image use and reuse, right? Ego, egos are usually not small. Let's just say that. Like, think again, think of Richard, Richard Prince. It takes a lot of balls, and or not even balls. Like, it takes a huge, massively inflative ego for a mediocre white man to be like, I get to use whatever I want, because I art. I art man, you know? It... It's going to be that it's always going to be litigious or loud or whatever or messy because in this tradition, it's a lot of ego back and forth. Think about like, what's the man with Palazzo Chupi? Julian Schauble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like the the thing is, you know, he don't really take other images, but you know, I don't know. I, 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 th- I think there is a lot of ego involved, but I, I think that's kind of beside the point anyway. I, I don't. It, to me, like the the politics, I just think it's messy because sometimes the work will be not good. Well, and, the thing and you're is, like, why are we fighting about this again? Well, I don't then, get in it. a certain sense, you agree with the majority opinion, and in a certain sense, I do too. It's not their job to decide how meaningful or good it is. They don't care whether it's meaningful or good. Right. In in the context of a magazine reproduction of a thing, how does it compare? Uh, so who cares? Yeah. You know, if you're going to let them decide that, that's fine. You could also just not make it a bunch of lawyers' problems. Yeah. The, the ego that I'm talking about is distinct from the ego of the artists involved. Mm. I don't think it really holds any water one way or another whether the work is even good or whether you think it's valid or whatever. And I'm truly laissez-faire about this. The worst and the best work should be protected by nobody gives a shit. Well, that's my th- thinking behind this. That's the extent of it. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you think Richard Pritz is a good person. It doesn't matter whether you think his work is good. He has every right to use whatever the fuck he wants. And it's unbelievable to me that another artist would look at that, including the artist that got, like, you know, taken from, and go, well, why does he... Because all it is is envy. Why does he get to make $100,000 for that and mine is worth nothing? Because you suck and he doesn't suck. In the eyes of some people. Well, you you sold it for... $2,000. $2,000. You so, weren't yeah. trying to impress the egotists that are attracted to Richard Prince. That's why. Right. That's actually what you're jealous of, and that's actually what you're suing about. Not intellectual property protection. Yeah. You know? You don't actually care that it was your photograph that was used. You care that you didn't make the money he made. But yeah. you weren't trying to appeal to the same audience, because maybe you're a nice person. 
And he's not such a nice person. Well, but that's why he's a millionaire. And that's why you're not. You think millionaires are nice people? Like, hardly ever. Oh, no. The, the, they're so comfortable with an amount of suffering that the average person could never get with. Except for Martha. Stewart? Yeah. You didn't see that Sports Illustrated? She looks very healthy oh, and re- well-rested, you know? Um, That's called an airbrush. I mean, the guy who did her work, it settled very nicely. She was looking real, real Wildenstinian. Hmm. Yeah. And then it finally went down. Yeah, there's a whole team behind that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's 14 gay men going, ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone from the Met Gala that's running around, like, ironing people's dress tails takes the same steamer oh, and puts it on Martha's face. Those are all white women. That's different. That's a different <laughs> team. We don't trust the Beckys and the Beckys, Sophia's, Lauren's. We don't, we don't trust them. Kirsten's. Not even Kirsten's, Kristen's. Those are Kristen <laughs> girls. Megan! Yeah, 14, Megan. Four, 14 of them turn around. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't really trust them with, you know, yeah. the icons. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, good yeah. luck to everybody out there. Do what you want. Make what you want. Who yeah, cares? Yeah, who cares? If you get sued eventually, then then deal with it. But Give people 500 bucks. Mm, I don't know. I wouldn't want to. Well, then you'll be in court. <laughs> yep, good luck. Well, 